Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Curtis Whiteley. It is entitled, Patience. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone, as it always is, on another beautiful Sabbath day. Uh, so last week, uh, I, I gave the sermon, and uh, in that sermon, it was entitled, the, uh, Our Compassionate Father. And so this week, I kind of, I, I wouldn't say it's completely related to last week's message, but in that message from last week, a lot of what we talked about was our Father in Heaven and the compassion that He has bestowed upon us. And a lot of that compassion is seen in the patience that He has for us. And so today, I wanted to kind of use that as kind of a, a pivot into patience on our end. So, what do we think about patience, right? In our Christian walk. Is it something you think is very important? Probably so. It's, it's not the most easiest of virtues. In fact, some, I kind of went back and forth whether or not I should even give this message because I'm probably the worst possible candidate there is in this Christian virtue. And patience is difficult. Now, patience isn't so hard whenever things are going right, though, right? So things are going good in our life. Everything's going smoothly the way it's supposed to go. Patience is pretty easy. Or it seems like. But once tensions rise, that's when we're really tested. I once heard a quote, and I don't know who said it, and I want to apologize for not being able to give the, the credit due, but it said something along the lines, when tensions rise, boy, that love commandment gets a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? And that's true. It does. But in light of what we learned last week, and what we already knew, it wasn't anything new, it was just kind of a refresher, we have a very loving and compassionate God that has been very patient with all of us. You know, I gave that example last week, and I, I kind of wanted to go back to it because we had some technical difficulties on the, on the, uh, on the projector here, but it was a, an example of a $100 bill that was nice and fresh and clean, and one that was dirty and wadded up and had dirt on it. And I, we asked the question, you know, which one, which one had more value? Well, they both had equal value. And we kind of got into that, and we talked a little bit about, you know, that analogy. And I, I wanted to bring that back up today, mainly because in reflecting back last week, I don't think I gave the proper due. I think I did mention that that wasn't an analogy that I gave. It was actually something that I uh, found online. I, I'm not really sure exactly what the origin. I've seen some different Bible studies that use that analogy. Uh, but I, I just wanted to make sure, and, and make sure, since I had an opportunity this week, and it still may be fresh in your minds that I kind of uh, let you know that that was not my analogy. So as we look at this idea of patience, the Bible has a lot to say about this virtue. In our English language, or if you were to go to the American, English Diction or American Heritage Dictionary of the English language, one of the ideas that the noun patience brings out is the idea of having the capacity to endure hardship, difficulty, or inconvenience without complaint, and it says that patience emphasizes calmness, self-control, and the willingness or ability to tolerate delay. But I think one of the elements of patience that is ignored in our days is the element of hope. 
that patience comes from. You see, we're patient about things because we know that the waiting, that there's something at the end of that waiting, right? There's something at the end that's going to take place. In the New Testament, patience is typically associated or closely connected to the hope, and hope is closely connected to faith. Many of the references to patience when we read the Bible is comparing and contrasting the ideas of things like affliction, trial, persecution, to things like joy and the promises ahead of us. So let's just think about this sequence for a minute. Let's just think about patience in regards to things like our faith. Because we have faith, we are enabled to have hope. Because the faith we have gives us an expectation that something is going to take place. That there is a something that we're waiting on. That there is a certain reality that we believe in that's going to happen. And regardless of what takes place now or tomorrow or next week or next month, in the end, we know that there is something tangible that's going to happen. So if we think about that sequence of having faith and it enabling us to have hope, because the faith we have gives us expectation, which is exactly what hope is. This hope creates patience in us because of the reality that we know is ahead of us. Because we are hopeful that, a, that, that at the end of our patience we will receive the expectation, which is the hope, the promise. So in some ways, we can measure our faith and hope by our patience. Now, patience is a fruit of hope, and hope is a fruit of faith. So let's go to James, the fifth chapter. I want to break into a passage, and I'm going to use James pretty much as the primary text for the day, but we are going to look at some other texts. I want to go to James, the fifth chapter, and I'm going to kind of remind you guys of some of the context of what's happening in the letter of James. But James, the fifth chapter, we're going to read verses 7 and 8, just to start out with. Verses 7 and 8. James uses this word, starting out here in the seventh verse of of James, the fifth chapter. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early rain and later rain, or latter rain. Verse 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now in this context, James uses that word in the very beginning of verse 7, he says, therefore. And just to kind of jog your memory a little bit, it's been a little while, but a couple years ago I did do a series on the epistle of James, and we talked about some of the things that James had to say, but contextually, in the context, when we see that word therefore, He's kind of referring in light of things that I've just said, right? And we know the context of James, there's all different kinds of ideas that he was talking about. And a lot of it had to do with the injustices that people during this time saw in the world, specifically those in the Christian believing community. Injustices like the rich taking advantage of the poor, evildoers seeming to flourish. In fact one of the groups that it's possible that might have been among the individuals that James was writing to 
was possibly the group of zealots. And if you know who the zealots were, the zealots were a faction or a sect within Judaism at the time that decided that they were going to take it, take up their own arms, that they were going to take matters into their own hands, and that they were going to fight, physically fight, against the Roman occupation. Now it's interesting if we think about that. Whether that's true or not, we're not completely sure. It's just a possibility. But in our day and our time, I think that there's possibly a comparison that can be made. Because we do live in a world where we have kind of somewhat of Christian society as we would consider as far as, you know, Judeo-Christian values as we would say that maybe our country has been established on. And we also have people that are very, very into things like politics. And a part of this, and this isn't shaming anyone or any group or anything like this, but a part of our country, and our, you can probably look outside of America, is this idea of trying to kind of take matters into their own hands among Christian groups. Now, I'm not saying that we're seeing people in Christian circles take up arms and fight against our federal government or anything like that. Of course, you could probably point to things like that in other parts of the world. But what I'm saying at, what I'm getting at, is that there is a faction among us in our country within Christendom or within Christianity that has almost this idea of taking back or fighting against what they see as injustice, governmentally. Now, I think that there's a danger of of that to some extent. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm not saying don't go out and and protest what's wrong, don't go out and stand up for for what's right. Uh, Not saying that at all. Obviously, we have beliefs, we're Christians, we have the Bible to guide us, and of course, this book is going to enlighten maybe what our political views, if we do have them. But unfortunately, people get so involved in these things, so wrapped up in the politics of our day, that they almost forget where their true allegiance, where their true home is, where their true citizenship is. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the idea. I'm very appreciative, and and I feel blessed, and I thank God that I live in the United States of America. But it's just something to think about as we go into this idea of patience. As we go into this idea of patience. So James gives us this example, right? He gives us this example of, of a farmer. Just to kind of reread it, he says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. Now a farmer must plant obviously a crop, and wait for the full cycle of the crops to mature before it becomes ripened. Now, I'm no farmer. I know very little about it. Some of you might have experience in it, but it does make sense. You've got to prepare a field. You've got to plant the crop, right? You've got to, hopefully you have a watering system where you're just relying on rain like in, back in these days. But there's a, there's a process, it's just not a matter of just doing one or two steps, but it's, it's a process, and it's almost a process that's over a long period of time. It doesn't just happen overnight. Now, in the region that we're talking about here, that the readers of James' epistle would have been familiar with in the Mediterranean, that 
right here in the, the, the land of Palestine, farmers were, were, were reliant on two rains. The early rains of late autumn and the later rains of early spring. And both rains were very necessary as the early rains got the crop started, allowing initial growth. And the late rains enabled the filling out and ripening of the grain. So the farmer, for that person who's farming, patience was extremely imperative. And not only that, the farmer was completely reliant on God to provide the rain. So the point that James' illustration is that we are primarily sowing and cultivating in this life, not harvesting rewards. Regardless, unfortunately, of what some may say. So if we were to go back to Deuteronomy 11th chapter, I want to read something that James's audience would have been very familiar with. Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter, right before the children of Israel came into the land of promise, they heard these words being spoken by Moses. Verse 8 of Deuteronomy, excuse me, the 11th chapter. Verse 8 says, Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, that you may prolong your days in the land which, which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them and, your, and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so the Israelites, as we all know, they're going into a new land, a land that's going to be different from the land that they came out of. Verse 10, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess it is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be, fulfilled, be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And that's interesting. Because these individuals that were reading James' epistle would have understood what he meant when he gave that farming analogy. Now, notice verse 10 and 11. If we were to go back and, and reread it, we're not. But James says something very interesting. He says, in Egypt, watering was done by foot. Now, we don't know exactly what he means by that. If you know anything about Egypt and about the agriculture of the day, it wasn't watered by rain. But the Nile River, it had seasonal floods. So you have this Nile River... Floods, we're kind of familiar with that right here in Tulsa right now. We have the Nile River, and every year it would flood. And it basically would flood up onto the banks. And what that would do is, is it would bring silt and things like that. It would replenish, essentially, the ground. And then they would recede, and, and, and because of the Nile, they would build irrigation channels and things like that. They, would, they figured out a way to not have to rely on rain, but be able to utilize the Nile to be able to, to water their farm fields. 
And so it's possible that there's many different things at play here. Number one, in Egypt, because of those different irrigation channels, sometimes with the foot they would maybe block it up or dam it up, I guess you would say, to keep water from going into certain channels and things like that at certain times. Sometimes they would have different pieces of uh, agricultural equipment where it would, they would have to basically spin a wheel and things like that with their feet. We don't exactly know, but what we do know is this. The land in which Israel was going to was going to be a land that they were not going to be able to rely on rivers for. Yes, there's the Jordan River that we know that goes right down Palestine, but that's not the kind of river like the Nile that actually waters everything around it or that is utilized. But they were going to a land where they were going to have to rely on God and the rain that came from heaven. But, despite that, despite having to be reliant on God, there's still a responsibility to the farmer. There's still a responsibility to the farmer to do their due diligence in the practice of their farming. It's interesting how Deuteronomy says, you know, take heed that you don't go after other gods. You see, when we read about Israel later on as they go into the nation or to this land, one of the things we see oftentimes is that they did go after other gods. And there were many reasons for that. But oftentimes, as we see even before they get to the, uh, to the land of promise, they were propelled to do so or compelled to do so because they were not patient. What happened to Moses? Oh, we don't know. He must have left us. He's not coming back. He's been gone too long. Up, make us gods. And we see this cycle happen over and over and over again. What would take place? They would get impatient. They would start getting all anxiety and all that stuff. And they would start thinking, well, maybe we need to do this. Or maybe we need to do that. Maybe, maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to, to, to pray to this god or make this idol. The other nations are doing it. Surely they know more than we do. Or surely doing that, that's what the majority do. So that's probably what you should do, right? That's what we see as we look to the nation of Israel. Let's go to Luke, the second chapter. We'll go to Luke, the second chapter. Out of all, <laughs> this is always, I don't know if you're anything like me. I'm sure you, everyone in here is. But, you know, there's, there's different stories in the Bible that might resonate with us, you know, as, as, as the journey that we started long ago, right? You know, there's different parts of the, the scriptures. Some people say, well, this is my favorite scripture. Or what's, you might be asked, what's your favorite scripture? This is actually one of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible. And it's kind of a story because it's not just the story itself, but I think it's the implication. I think it's the things that surround it. And it happens to be... A story about this obscure individual that we really don't know much about by the name of Simeon right before Jesus or when Jesus was born. This is, in my opinion, a really good illustration of someone who has patience. We can go to so many spots in the Bible, so many examples of patience. But let's go to Luke, the second chapter. And I'm going to just give you the context. The context is in Jerusalem, somewhere around 6 to 4 B.C., okay? right around the birth of Christ, the turn of the century, basically. The setting is at the temple. The temple is where Mary and Joseph had taken the child Jesus to perform what was required of them upon the law whenever a, a, a child was born. Okay? 
And so there was a specific offering that was obviously appropriate for them to, uh, uh, to, to, to give. And so Luke, the second chapter, verse 25, this is what we read. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33 says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken to him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This individual is not mentioned anywhere else in all of Scripture. In fact, we know very little about this person. There's not much we know about him, but there's a few things we can kind of infer, and there's a few things that the text actually specifically says. Number one, we can probably infer that this person was probably someone who was old in age. Just by the context, the way that they talk about this this person. He was probably someone who lived a long life and maybe seen a lot of different things. Secondly, this person probably was an Israelite. We're not told from what tribe. Luke doesn't tell us from what tribe, but the way it reads, of course, the context, why he's around here in the temple, he was probably someone from the nation of Israel. And if that's the case, then we know that he was someone that probably understood the stories of the nation of Israel. Now, the scripture says that this man was just and devout. This man was just signifying that this man was righteous, that he feared God, and he was just before people. His devout signifies that this man was careful and pious to carry out his righteous duties. But the primary aspect regarding this passage that I want to bring out is when it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. This man lived in a time where the Romans, as we know, occupied Jerusalem, occupied Palestine. The scriptures that this man probably grew up reading about, about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Israel being, being again, uh, sovereign, that God was going to raise up a Messiah to drive out the Romans, to drive out the foreign occupiers. This man probably grew up learning about all that stuff. And he was waiting. He was waiting to see those prophecies be fulfilled. He probably knew about the prophets and the things that they had said. And he grew up his entire life learning about these things. And now this man's old in age and he hadn't given up yet. Let's just think about that. This man's born, he learns about these things, and he lives his entire life and he's thinking, man... Sure have had to wait a long time. All those things that I read about, man, I never really got to experience those things. This, you know, world tomorrow or this new era where God's going to bring in 
righteousness on earth. Man, I, I kind of got cursed. I was born at the wrong time. I'm having to live here in a, in a difficult life. I'm treated terribly by the foreign occupiers. They weren't real keen to Jews, if you didn't know. This man could have just gave up. This man could have said, you know what? I've read about that stuff. It hasn't happened. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And I'm going to be in step with the world. I'm tired of being called names and things like that. Being called weird. We don't know if he was. But we knew, do know that Jews, they were so different compared to all the other normal cultures and religions of the day. There's no doubt that they were probably looked down upon by many groups. But this man didn't do that. Simeon had patience. He believed the scriptures. He believed that these things would take place. He knew that just like many men and women that came before him looked to those same things and they didn't experience it either. But it was going to happen. He had patience. He had a hope. He had a faith that drove him to have a hope which gave him patience. You know, it's interesting because as Christians, we have a lot more in common with Simeon than we probably think about sometimes. Now, Simeon, he did get to see Jesus, the Messiah, right? But the thing that we're waiting on in a lot of ways is the same thing that Simeon was waiting on because if we, if we really kind of traced how even the apostles themselves, now we don't know exactly how much Simeon knew. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. But he could have been like a lot of the Jews at the time. He could have been like even the apostles. Remember the apostles, they knew Jesus was the Messiah. They saw him crucified. They saw him, him be raised from the dead. And they still were kind of mixed up exactly what was going to happen. Because even right after he was resurrected and right before he ascended to heaven, he said, okay, Jesus... We know you've done some things that we weren't really expecting, but now is the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. This is now the time that you're going to restore it. That's what Simeon was waiting for. Simeon got to see the Messiah, but he didn't get to see the kingdom, and neither have we. A lot of those prophecies that Simeon is looking for, we're still looking for as well, to be fulfilled. And we know that they will be. Now, on a personal level, it's kind of interesting because if we think about it, what about our life? Now, of course, I know that we haven't experienced the kingdom of God. That's something we all have in common, right? But is there ever times that we want to think to ourselves, man, I came to this faith. I got the Holy Spirit. I was so pumped up and I was so excited. I was so on fire. But man, life hasn't turned out like I thought it would. You know, things aren't as easy as I thought they'd be. You know, I struggle with this in life, or I struggle with that in life. I've had bad luck when it comes to, to, to relationships, or I've had bad luck when it comes to jobs. I've contracted this illness, or developed this disease. We were think that sometimes, in a way, that it... It's not exactly the same, but we can, we, can, we can experience those things in this life. We can experience those things that make it look like, man, I tell you what, like, this isn't what I expected. This isn't the life that I thought I was going to have. I thought Christianity was going to be the good life. I thought Christianity was all going to be about you know, everything getting better and just nothing but blessings. 
And maybe I feel like kind of falling off. Why am I doing all this for? You know, I'm not seeing things get necessarily better in my life. Now we can think about, of course, we see our world, right? We see the things that are deteriorating in our world around us. That's true. But sometimes maybe we think, man, things in my life are deteriorating. Or they seem to be. Or God's really putting me through a test in this way or that way. And man, what's going on here? Now this isn't to say that God doesn't bless us. He does. This isn't to say that, you know, basically if you're going to be a Christian, you just be, be ready for a miserable life. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that it's not always easy. And sometimes things in life don't go to plan. And just because that happens doesn't mean that God has forgotten about us. Doesn't mean that God doesn't care. As we read about last week, God is compassionate. And sometimes, because of our patience, because, we, because our patience is being tested, it can lead us to have some pretty bad habits. Some characteristics that are kind of the opposite of what Christian virtues is all about. Let's go back to James and let's reread. Not reread, let's just continue on just a few more passages. James, the fifth chapter, verse 9 through 11 is what we're going to read. This is right after James said what he did. He says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. We know that sometimes our patience, when we have a lack of patience, that's when we start doing, that's, that, that's what that quote kind of was talking about, right? Whenever tension's raised, that love commandment gets a little bit more difficult to, to abide by. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets, who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And that's what we learned about last week, the compassion of the Father that we have. So James encourages us through the example of the prophets. You see, not only did the prophets write things that haven't happened yet, but they had to endure all kinds of hardship, right? We learn about the, you know, the faith chapter, Hebrews the 11th chapter. We've, we've all read that. Many of them endure great persecution. Even some of them endured death. Yet because of their faith and the hope that was within them, about the promises that they were writing about and about the promises that they knew were going to take place, they wrote as if they had already received those promises and they had not. That's a pretty powerful, right? To be writing about something and almost seem that you're so sure that it's almost as if you've already received them, but yet you haven't. They have not received those things even to this day, like me and you have not received. Now, we res we've received the Holy Spirit. We've received the promises by means of being in covenant with God, being made a child of Abraham through Christ, right? Being heir, an heir. But we haven't received the, the treasures. We haven't received the promise, the promise of eternal life. We haven't received the kingdom yet. To be a priest with Christ and reigning with Him. We have not received that. But when you read the words of the prophets, you almost think that they had received it. You think that they almost had received it. I'm going to close with that.
I'm gonna, I did have Hebrews, the 12th chapter, but I'm going to stop there. And I want us to ask a quick question. Do we live life in a manner that's almost consistent or is almost as if we've actually already received the promises? Do we have a faith that produces a hope that gives us a patience in life as if we have already received the promises that God has promised us. This life is tough, but patience is key. Now the reason I brought this up today was as I mentioned at the beginning, we talked about the compassionate Father last week and about the patience that God has with us. And I think it's important for us to think about our patience. And I think that the way we talked about patience today was more on a spiritual level, right? And our faith and our spiritual walk. But that spiritual walk and that patience that we have in our spiritual walk, mastering that and focusing on that, I think will trickle down to the other areas of life that patience is important. That is being patient with each other, with our spouses, with our friends, among us as brethren. So as we conclude, let us not forget James's words. One of the things that James says is that prepare our hearts, strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our hearts and focus on Him as we strive to have more patience.